Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. I want to share with you a study that was done. Maybe you've heard it, seen it on YouTube. I know it's it's out there. It was done in 1972. Stanford University did a research project on deferred gratification. Walter Michelle was the professor who conducted this study. They went into Bing Nursery School and they took four-year-olds to six-year-olds and they tried to see what would happen with children four years old to six years old, did they have the the the, the discipline for, uh, again, deferring gratification? So what they did is they took a marshmallow and they put it on a table in front of them. And they said, now, you can have this one marshmallow or when I come back, I'll give you two marshmallows. And now marshmallows do nothing for me. If you'd put pie in front of me, that would have been a different story. But uh, anyway, so the kids immediately began to react. Some salivated, some before the researchers were out of the room had the 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 marshmallow off the table and in their mouth. That's how uh, I'm not going to try to 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 fight this temptation. And they were truly trying to see, again, if, if they could handle the temptation of that. Some of them, the other ones who were a little bit more successful for at least a while, began to squirm in their seat and move their hands and began to try to figure out how they could play games with themselves and even sing some songs. A few kids even tried to lay down and go to sleep as if it's not even in front of them. And to, again, to see if they could get two marshmallows versus one. Now, it wasn't just to see how we can torture kids. There was a longitudinal study here that was going on that they were trying to figure out whether or not there was some correlation between uh, children who could say no and say yes when it's time to say yes and no to that gratification right now, if if there would be any indicator of future successes. They followed these 216 kids till they graduated from high school. And then they looked at these kids and they were assessing um those who who were able to hold off and not take the marshmallow in hand and, and eat it, and those who waited for the two, and they found that those who were able to hold off on the marshmallow, by the time they graduated from high school, they scored higher on the SAT by 210 points by average because they had the ability to say no. But there was not only that, the greater indicator of this Two times as more, those who were able to manage the marshmallow, if you will, two times a more powerful indicator of academic success than a person's IQ. The ability to manage the marshmallow temptation. The ability to say no to gratification now because there's something better in the future. The ability to be in control instead of be controlled. The ability to master your circumstances rather than be mastered by your circumstances was a great indicator of a child's success in life. And I don't think it's any different for us as adults. That are we able to manage the marshmallow? Are we able to manage the temptations and the struggles that are out there and the things that we want and we think we can deserve and we can justify but it's, it's so ironic whenever we look at the fruit of the Spirit and all the manifestations. To me, if there's one of these that doesn't belong here, 
it's number nine. I mean, I can get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I can get through the whole list and I can go, okay, I can feel the touchy-feely. I can feel the heart warmth. I can feel how I interact with other people. But this last one, it kind of catches me off guard. But when I look at the life of Jesus, I see this being manifest. That ability to have self-control, self-mastery, if you will. So much so that I believe that there may be something that God is trying to show us here in this list of nine. It's not a random list. It's not even put in a random order, even though I can't fully figure out all of the intricacies of the order. But there's something about number nine. That if number nine manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in our life is not in play, it may literally be an indicator that the rest of the fruit will die on the vine. That if self-control is not in play, that it may be the greatest indicator of whether or not the harvest of fruit continuously having a fruitful life. That may be the greatest indicator. Jesus was a master of self-mastery. When you look at his life and the way he lived his life, he didn't just do his own will. He was God. He was God in the flesh, absolutely, 100%. But even Jesus submitted himself to the Father. And he didn't just do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. In John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of God, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. But only what he sees the Father doing for whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So basically, Jesus doesn't just do his own thing, even though he's God. He only does what he sees the Father doing, and he only re- responds to what, the God, what, what God the Father is doing. It's not only that, that he showed self-mastery, Jesus did. But Jesus was human, fully man, fully God, fully human. All at the same time, I know it's hard to understand that. But he had natural tendencies. He had hunger. He had, he, there, the Bible speaks of him being tired. So he had all the same desires that we had, tempted in every way like us, but yet did not sin. So whenever he got hungry, he could easily get hangry, just like you and I could. But he didn't. There was a time uh, whenever he was uh, busy about the father's work. His disciples had prepared the meal. It was time to eat. They traveled all day. It was all day long now. It's the end of the afternoon, at least three in the afternoon. And the disciples say, hey, hey, Jesus, come, let's eat. And or uh, eat our falafels or whatever they're going to eat. And, uh, and Jesus says this. He says, truly, I say to you, the son can, uh, excuse me, uh, that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He he was willing to sacrifice his own desires of the flesh, natural good desires. We're not talking about bad desires. Natural desires. He was willing to suppress them, to master them, than to be mastered by them. Also, you go on and look at Jesus when he goes to the cross. He's been betrayed by his friends. Everybody has turned their back on him. And he is literally agonizing in the garden of Gethsemane and he is praying out to the God the Father. I, I don't want this to happen. I don't want to go to the cross. If there's any way to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There's a, there's a self-mastery, a self-control, an ability to be able to say, you know what? I'm not going to be controlled by what I want and by my desires. And even, even though some of them are maybe very good and healthy desires. Next series of messages that we're going to be going into is trading up. Talking about the whole concept of moving from my way to the Jesus way. 
Because if we're going to talk about this spirit-filled life, we're reverse engineering this if you notice this, because Jesus sends the spirit, and we're talking about the spirit before we talk about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus going into Easter, and the whole idea is that he has a way, a higher way, a better way, and I want to get on his way because his way is better than my way. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 and again, this is the ambition of Paul whenever he's writing to the church of Galatia. He's challenging them. And we've been in Galatians now for, for weeks. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's like I'm not done until I see Jesus coming out of you. And again, one of the things we see, definitely see about Jesus is he had self-control. Again, you look at this, self-mastery or being mastered by self is what we will be if we're not very, very careful. Paul struggles with this as well. In Paul's writing about self-control, in fact, you'll find in Paul's writings very often, not a major glaring, blinking light, but it's a common thread when he's talking about his own journey and his own faith and his own life that he struggles at time with self-mastery. He struggles at time with self-control. In, in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, it says, I am full of myself. Don't raise your hand if that's you. After all, I spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise, but I need something more. For if if I know the law, but I can't keep it, and the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I think we all need to wake up one morning, one day, one circumstance, one situation, one bad decision. At some point, we need to wake up and go, I need help. I could easily sabotage my own life with one decision real quickly. I think we have to wake up to the reality that we need a relationship with Jesus. That's Romans chapter 7. If you go to the very first verse of Romans chapter 8, he says that now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I come back to Jesus again, and I want to say this. Listen, it's not getting the Spirit. It's not getting these nine things and just willing them into your life. No, let's get it in the right order. It's entering into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus sends his spirit to abide and dwell and live in us. And from that comes the presence of the fruit of the spirit in our life. So if you're gonna reverse engineer this, notice this is the kind of life that I wanna live. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the whole list. And how do I get there? I need to uh, let the abiding presence of Christ and his spirit uh, that abides in me, I need to let him master and control my life. And how does that begin? It begins with a relationship with Jesus. So I want to make the invitation really clear right in here, right now. Do you know Jesus? That's where it starts. In fact, I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus before we go any further, right now, you bow where you are and you say, Jesus, I want you, I need you, I long for you to be my Savior. I want to trade my way for the higher way, the higher way of your way. I'm going to trade up right here today, God. I'm going to start that trade up life right here. And if that's you, man, I tell you what, our, we have pastors that want to talk with you, pray with you, work with you through this, and I want to invite you to be a part of our baptism in a couple of weeks. That's not a, that's not a bait and switch. They go hand in hand. It's like me putting on this wedding ring. When I walk down the aisle, I gave my, 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 my love, my life to, to Lori, 
For 31 years, I wear a ring to say that I am committed to somebody, and I wear it with pride. Baptism is just that moment. Believer's baptism is just that moment. If you've never done that or if you've never given your life to Jesus, I invite you, I encourage you to be a part of that. But Paul understood that he was self-sabotaging his life. If he didn't get self-control, if he didn't have that, he would continue to self-sabotage. And so you'll notice through Paul's writings that he will continue to come back to this. In fact, when he is on trial before Felix, this is how important self-control is. When he's on trial before Felix, there are three things he talks about. Now, one and three, you might go, yep, I understand that. That should be one of the major things that you talk about. But number two, doesn't really make sense. Why would he be talking about that one? Unless it's that important. So he says, and he reasoned about what? Righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Yeah, the reality that we're all going to stand before God and we're all going to give an account for our life, the coming judgment, the fact that righteousness is what God calls us to, we could probably all answer that if we were long listing out what God wants us to think about. Those are things that are important. But the three things that he talked about, one of those was self-control. Self-mastery and not being controlled by life. Managing our marshmallows. The ability to say no. Or yes, when you want to say no. A very important uh, concept that we get down. We've talked about these. I'm not going to read them all. I'm not going to summarize them. I know I've done that every week, but it's just the list is getting too long. Here is the list of those nine manifestations, or eight of them. Starts with love, an extreme love, not just any kind of love, joy, sustained joy, peace, saturation of our peace, uh, all the way through us spiritually in every relationship. Patience, gritty patience, generous kindness, integrated goodness. unswerving, excuse me, faithfulness and humble gentleness about us. In fact, you'll find, and this is an assignment for you for the rest of your, your journey in the faith, as I want you to look for the combination of these words throughout your rest of the times you study the scriptures. Because if you'll start developing an eye for them, you're going to start hearing the, the clear, resounding message that these nine qualities are what mark a life of a follower of Jesus. Full of the Spirit, where the fruit of the Spirit is coming out of us. Other passages may not refer to them as the fruit of the Spirit, but it's exactly what they're going back to. The life of a follower of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. Notice this, there's going to be four of them will be mentioned here. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Okay, I'm ready. God called me to his, his, his walk. Okay, what, what does that mean? With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You find four in one passage, four of the nine. I'm just saying this. You're going to find it also in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You're going to find three of them all tied together. These go together hand in glove. And again, I want to say that self-mastery and self-control without that ninth manifestation can literally kill the crop of that fruit in our life. We got to have it. It's got to be a part of us. Self-control, here's my definition. You write your own. Tell me what it is. Uh, the ability to say no when you want to say yes. And yes, when you want to say no, even when no one else is looking. In the privacy of your own home, 
on your own computer when nobody's looking over your shoulder, when you're choosing what to watch on television and choosing what attitude to have with, with people in your life. There's so many things that I can do right in front of you, but can I do right when you're not looking? And being able to do that on a consistent basis. Aristotle said this about self-control. It's the ability to have a powerful passion, but to keep them under control. Nothing wrong with having passions and desires and hungers, but ability to not be controlled and to be under control is very important. Let's look at uh, Galatians chapter 5, where we've been for weeks now. And I want to remind us, in context, this is not just these verses just pop in the middle and they don't fit into a big picture. It's, it starts off in chapter 5 with helping us see how the fruit of the Spirit, how it comes into us. It comes into us through a relationship with Jesus, as I said earlier. Chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So I'm not slave to anything. I'm not controlled by my passions. I'm not controlled by my desires. It set me free. Therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back into that slavery. And then he talks about what that slavery is, that that brokenness is. But then he says, hey, the fruit of the Spirit. And then we go to verse uh, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now let's read these other verses that wrap it up. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Passions versus principle. What do you live most by? Passions versus principle. We're called to live by principle and to control the passions of our life. So I want us to Put a, put a bow on Galatians, and I want you to go back a couple of books to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because if we're going to talk about self-control and get a full understanding of it, and to see that Paul struggled at times, as I read from Romans 7, he struggled at times with being self-mastery and self-control. I want us to see where he does show Gives us the, I guess, a picture into the mindset of a person who's under that self-controlled, that self-controlled life. And if you look at chapter nine of 1 Corinthians, and one of my favorite passages, first you say me, I say Mike, you say that to every one of them. This is one of my favorite, some of my favorites. Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises, say it with me, self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So that I, here's his commitment, here's his mindset. I do not run aimlessly. I do not uh, 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 box as one being the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. As after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is Paul giving us his, not, not formula, it's a spirit-filled life that gives us self-control. It's his mindset of that transforming of the mind that he talks about in Romans chapter 12. This is what he, how he views his life, how he lives his life, and the power and the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside of him. 
And that mindset is what we need to have if we're going to live that self-mastery kind of life. So think about the area that you can't seem to get control of. Attitude, words, actions, thoughts, purchases, relationships. Okay, you don't have to tell anybody else. It's just in your mind. What will it take to see self-mastery in that area? Self-control, the Spirit of God to be infused in a part of that. Rapid fire, number one, be in it to win it. You gotta be in the fight every single day, every minute of every day, as if that is the day that the prize will be given, as if that is the day that the, 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 everything will end. I don't know that some of us live with a mentality that every single day we are, we are here in emotionally, mentally, spiritually aware of the battle that's going on. But it is there. You know, one thing about uh, athletes, and here it is, the Olympics. I would be the guy in the Olympics that would walk through on opening ceremony with my iPhone taking a picture of everything. Because I would just be happy that I made the Olympics. But have you ever noticed those athletes that aren't just happy that they made the Olympics? I'm talking about the Usain Bolts, the Michael Phelps, the ones who like get medal on medal on medal on medal on medal and set records on records on records. They never just are happy to be in the game. They are in it to win it every single time. I I think about another guy that I've never been a big fan of, but you can't help but admire him. Drafted 199th in the year that 2020, or 2000, excuse me, in the year 2000, when Tom Brady was drafted. I mean, a scrawny kid, if you look at the photo of him. I mean, I think I could whip him uh, pretty quickly. I mean, the guy was drafted 199th person. That means every team had picked, had gone through the rotation of picking people, and he was that far back in the pack. Fifth, sixth round, sixth round, but yet is the most winning quarterback of all times. I mean, the guy carries around two hands full of, 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 uh, of championship rings. You just saw him finish his, his career, and he was in it to win it each and every time. Usain Bolt, in it to win it. Michael Phelps, in it to win it. Every day, we've got to get in it to win it. Stephen Covey said that the undisciplined are slaves to moods, appetites, and passions. The undisciplined are slave to moods. I don't feel like it today. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm in it on Sunday, but I'm not in it on Monday. On Saturday night, I got other things to do. I'm not in the, the spiritual fight. Notice what, what, what Paul said. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one, only one gets the prize? If you're not first place, you're second place. And if you're second place, you're first place loser, right? That's what I've heard. You don't want to be, I don't, if there's only one prize, I'm in it to win it. I need to have a, a mentality, a mindset about me that I do not want to give this up. I do not want to give over. I am in it all the way. I want to win that. Only one gets the prize. So what's the next words out of his mouth? He says, but only one receives it. So run that you may obtain it. 
That is a commitment level extraordinaire. I was doing a Greek intensive refresh with Joey Dotson, a friend of ours, and spoke many times at Grace Point, professor at uh, Denver Seminary. We were doing a Greek refresh um, one several years back, and he was reminding me that the way the Greeks made list and the way the American Western mind makes list is different. We go in priority order nine times out of ten. This is one, one leads to two, two leads to three, three leads to four. But when the Greeks made lists, they didn't do it like that. They would put their most important item on the front end, maybe the first and second item, but they would always end with the next most important item. Love is important. Without love, we're just a clinging gong and and, and, an unrehearsed band. Without love, we don't even have God in us, all right? That's what 1 John says. But if if number two is self-control, it's the most important, second most important. We need to have it as a marking on our life. The Amazon River is believed to be the longest river in the world, 4,345 miles in length. From the beginning when it bubbles up out of the ground to the point that it rushes out, listen to this, rushes out with force into the ocean. It plumes out fresh water into salty water. Listen to this, 124 miles wide and 250 miles, you can still taste fresh water on the surface. That mighty Amazon River that runs for 4,000 miles. Why does it have such force when it hits that water? Because it has banks. Because it has boundaries. Those boundaries help all the tributaries and all the water and all the rainforest of the Amazon empty into that. And all the water just continues to create more and more force and more and more thrust and more and more distance in its life. When you think about self-control, think about it as the boundary. The boundaries are not bad. Boundaries give you direction. Boundaries give you force. Boundaries give you thrust into this world. Boundaries, I believe, give you fruitfulness. Otherwise, you're just a murky, marshy land. Boundaries are important. Are you in it to win it? Number two, make a big deal out of the small thing. Make a big deal out of the small things. It is Olympic season. You know, I'm not much into Winter Olympics. I like Summer Olympics. We're kind of in that dead sports season. But I know, to use another sports uh, metaphor or example, Novak uh, Djokovic is the number one male tennis player in the world today. And he's getting a lot of flack right now. He's getting a lot of news media right now. And I was watching an interview with him this past week. And he was talking about his, his discipline of what he puts and doesn't put into his body. And he said this, and it caught me way off guard, because I've heard of athletes who do this. Watch their diet, count their macros, all that kind of stuff. But he said, I even watch the water that I drink and the source from which my water came from. I thought that's a level of commitment. That's a level of observation. That's a level of making a big deal out of the small things that maybe I need to have in my life. Because if you just even get tainted water, what it will do to the systems of your, of your life. So what would it mean for me to pay attention to 
and make a big deal out of the small things. Why would I do that? Because of verse 25, what he says there. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. His sleeping, his eating, what he puts into his body. So what if I in my life were to look and do an inventory, a gut check on all things in my life? Everything was put underneath a, a laser to, to look and say, God, is this, is this right? What would that look like? Well, maybe it's what I think. Even, even the thoughts of my mind, even what I dwell on, think about, allow to, to, to fester inside of me. I like the way Paul said it. And probably if you want to read a book on your thought life, read the book of Philippians. He has more to say on the mind, on anxiety, on thoughts and what you're thinking about than I, can I, than I can think of any other book. He even tells us to have the mind of Christ in that book. But in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, it says, let those of us who are mature think this way. As if there's a wrong way to think and there's a right way to think. But those who are mature think this way. And then he goes on in Philippians chapter 4 and he tells us eight mental focus points that we should have. He says, think about these things. What is your thought life? What are you imagining? What are you dreaming about? What are you fantasizing about? What are you dwelling on? What is it that captures you? Because Paul said this another time in 2 Corinthians, that he takes every thought captive. So if you're going to make a big deal out of the small things, because an athlete exercises exercises self-control in all things, you're going to make a big deal out of small things, start with your thoughts. But also... What do you say? What comes out? And it's easier for things to come out and then to try to pull them back and they don't go back in. It's like getting a package or getting a tent from Walmart and then trying to put it back in that same bag. It just doesn't go. It goes one time. James chapter 1, verse 26. Anyone who thinks he's righteous, I, I go to church, I pay my tithe, I serve in the children's ministry, I do so many things. I mean, I'm really pretty good. But does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart, and the person's religion is worthless. What do you say? What do you touch? What do you think? What do you say? What do you touch? The average iPhone user will touch their phones in a given day 2,617 times. That's a lot. What if this the verse that Psalm 16, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. What if, what if what I'm reaching for in life is less my Instagram account and more about the Lord? What I see, again, inventorying every part of your life. If Djokovic is going to monitor his water, what are you going to monitor in the details? What about what you see? I like Job, a very righteous man, a man that, was walking with God and yet I know went through hell on earth. Job 31.1, what, how, how did he keep his life pure? I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look lustily at a young woman. Literally, I'll, I mean, can't you read the menu and not touch? Can't you read the menu and not order? Can't you just enjoy God's beauty? No, no, that's not what it's about. It's, it's about covenant commitment with your eyes. It's the little things. T.C. Ryan wrote a book uh, after 40 years of being caught in a cycle of sexual perversion and sexual brokenness. 40 years of it, just on and on. 
We call to shame no more. And he said this, if I've learned anything about God in the ways of living in his spirit, it is that finding him isn't in avoiding the struggle. It's in finding him in the struggle. Or better, being found by him in the struggle. The struggle is where God is. Number three, define the win before the battle. What, is it, what does it mean to win in life? Okay, begin with the end in mind. You heard me talk about that last week. You've got to have a clearly defined end. Verse 26 talks about, he says, so, um, excuse me, but the last part of verse 25. says, they do it to, for a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. We're, we're about something that's going to last longer. And let me say this, a wreath was very important in that day. We might think of it as not that big of a deal, but the Greek gods, Neptune and Pan, had wreaths. Zeus had a laurel. Tiberius wore a, a, a laurel during thunderstorms as, as a form of protection, so it was a sense of security. The Spartans would wear a crown, of a wreath. Women would wear a wreath around their head on their wedding days. The crown was a symbol of honor, fashion, and strength. But but we don't we don't do it for a perishable. We do it for an imperishable. What are we winning? I shared this last week, and I just want to re-emphasize it. I, I've got to figure out what my win is in this. And is it my pleasures and my passions and my desires? Or am I going to live for an audience of one? And that audience of one is whenever I die, when I go to be with Jesus, that he will look at me and say, Mike, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. That's what I want him to say to me. What, what's your win? Number four, play the long game. It's easy to play the short game. Live your life playing the long game because the short game will leave you with a lifelong regrets. Playing the long game is whenever you, you don't make decisions on a whim. You don't make decisions on impulse. You don't make decisions on passion. You don't make decisions on desires. Remember, Paul talked about those desires are crucified. Why? Because I'm living a self-controlled life. I'm not allowing the passions of my life. And what Paul did to make sure he continued on the long game, seeing that his life was a marathon, seeing that he didn't know how long he was going to live. He was going to live 50, 60, 70, 80 years. I, my grandmother lived to 92. I want to live to 92. I'm playing the long game. And I want to make my decisions based on a long game. Yes, I can enjoy things in the moment. But if they sacrifice the long game, I don't want that. You need to think the long game. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Why does he do that? Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul lived with an incredible sense of, um, I don't want to be disqualified at the end. I don't, I don't, I don't want to live 40 years, 31 years, Lord, and I've been married. I don't want to live for 31 years of a marriage and throw it away in a heartbeat. I don't, I don't want to build a character and a reputation that, 
takes you years to build and destroy it in one decision. Play the long game. I don't want to preach and then at the end be disqualified. The phrase that he says here is so powerful. And this is really the essence of why I call this one of my favorite passages. He says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. That word in the Greek language is gogo. And it's only used one time in the entire Bible. It's so been so impactful for my life, I have it tattooed on my bicep. Dulagogo. What does it mean? Some translations, it says, I make it my slave. So literally, I take my life, I take my mind, I take my decisions, I take my choices, I, I take my morals, I take my ethics, and I don't just let the wind blow where they will. I don't let my desires just take me where they will. I have made them my slave. I tell my desires what I want. I'm in the middle of a workout sometimes, I'm ready to cash it in and go home. I finish the workout. I'm, I'm living out my life. I, fin- I want to finish well because I don't want to be disqualified at the end of my journey. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. And this is the danger. If you don't, ha- I, I said, if you don't have self-control, it can literally run the crop of fruitfulness in your life. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Now, you don't have to study ancient history very long to know that the first line of defense in any ancient city was not a big military might, was not the armor that they wore, not the, the chariots that they rode in, not the spears, the javelins, or the bow and arrows that they had. It was no, 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 That's not the line of defense. The first line of defense were the walls around the city. The walls around the city protected the enemy, at least gave you warning that the enemy's on the other side when they hear you knocking down the, the door and the, going through the moat. You, that, was, that was the first line of defense. If I don't have self-control, I am like a city without walls and my first line of defense has been compromised. I am one heartbeat, one decision away from stupid. I have one decision away from losing it all. Play the long game. Say, God, I need your spirit to be in control of my life. Would you bow your heads with me? Question. Do you have a mindset of self-mastery and self-control? Or is there that one thing I asked you to think of in the beginning? Is there one thing, two things, three things? But let's just focus on one. Is there one thing that maybe the most significant person in your life is sitting right next to you right now and they don't even know about it? that one thing can literally destroy everything. How will you bring that one thing 
to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus, and Him to give you victory there. Father God, in this space, this time, Lord, don't let us miss your voice. Your gentle finger of touch pointing at that one thing in our life. The words, maybe the relationship, maybe the browse history on our computer, maybe a financial deal that we're in, maybe the inability to tame and bridle our tongue. us and we lose in the end. Father, we bring that one thing to you, Jesus. And thank you that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But also, God, you call us to a better life. You give us your spirit so that we can find self-control. We commit the space and time to you. Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.